Yeah, I asked uh, Kyle to leave us standing uh, today because I don't uh, know if you figured this out, but we live in, in some crazy times uh, right now. Um, like there is a war in, in Israel. Uh, terrorists came and, and killed over a thousand uh, people and a lot of people and a, a lot of different thoughts on what that means re- regarding the end times and, and any of those things. And I'm not going to get into any of that. Um, I'm just going to, to simply say I believe we're closer to Jesus returning than we ever have been. Um, but that's, that's happening. We've got a war in, in Ukraine they, that's going on. Uh, and many, many of you are like, yeah, that, all that's true. Uh, but many of you have wars going on in, in your own life uh, today. Maybe it's a, a, a war with a, a spouse and you're not sure how that relationship's working out or or, or what's going on with that. Maybe it's a financial war and, and you don't know how you're going to pay bills. Uh, maybe it's with a, a child and there's just some separation and some distance there and it feels like a war. Maybe it's war with a, a sin or an addiction um, that you have. And all of those things are real. And we bring all of those things uh, in here to, to, to church with us uh, every week, and, and very seldom do we stop and, um, and just pray about those, those things, those wars uh, that are happening. So I'm just going to ask you uh, for a moment before you sit down, if you would just kind of bow your heads with me, and if we could pray uh, today. Father God, uh, we come to you, God, knowing that, that you are in control of all things, knowing that, that nothing that has happened surprises you. A war in, in Ukraine and in Russia, like that doesn't surprise you. An attack on, on Israel, um, God, that doesn't surprise you. you. You know all of those things, God, and you are still in control. And so right now, God, we pray for, for the people in those countries. Israel, uh, there, there are people there that, that are innocent, that love you, that, that desire to follow you. And we pray for them. Even in, in Palestine, God, we know that there are, are Christians, that there are believers, there are followers there. Not everybody uh, there is, is evil. So, Father, we pray for them as well in, in Ukraine and in Russia, and, but all over the world, God. You have people who, who love you and who desire to follow you, and, and we pray for all of them uh, right now. But, Father, I also want to pray for the people that are in this room and the people that are watching online who are, are going through a war themselves. And you know all of those situations, and none of those things ha- have caught you off guard either. They haven't surprised you, even in the slightest. So God, I, I pray that you would bring about peace in, in the midst of, of conflict, whether that's between countries or between spouses whether it's between nations or, or parents and, and children. Father, I pray that you'd bring about um, blessing for, for all of those who, who follow you, who, who strive to walk in, in the way that, that you would have us to walk. And God, we thank you for Jesus who, who gives us victory, even though at times in this world it looks like and it feels like defeat. We know that through him, uh, we do win. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
So to jump over with me in the Bible now to Matthew chapter 28, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and read about five or six verses in there. It says this, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, I feel sorry for her, she's just the other Mary, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, it seems like I'm setting up a, an Easter sermon here that I'm not. Like, but I'm just going to pull out three words out of those verses, um, and, and, and I'm going to preach today on those three words. And if we go back to verse 2, I'm going to show you what those, those words were. It says this, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and what are those last three words? Sat on it. If I'm writing a story, like I am, I'm trying, I'm picturing this angel. Like I don't, like I, I think the angel's gonna come down in some majestic form, like powerful. He's gonna stand with authority. He's gonna do something like uh, crazy majestic, I mean, maybe dab or something, like I, I don't know. But I, I, think, I think what the angel's doing here is this is he sat on it. And I think he's preaching one of the, probably one of the greatest sermons that, that could ever be preached without ever speaking a word. Like I think that, that it's just in this posture of sitting on the stone that this angel is delivering one of the greatest messages that we could ever hear. And the title of the sermon today is simply this, it's watch where you sit. Watch, watch where you sit. So let me ask you a question as we jump in today. How did you pick your seat today? Like right now, because there's some people like you don't even think about it. You just come in and plop down wherever there's an open seat. Some of you are like, it's the only one I could see because it was so dark in here. Like, <laughs> I get it. Man, I, I just lost my train of thought. But, but there's some people that really think about it. Like they, they do it very strategically. For example, like if you go into a movie theater, like listen, don't, don't ever, if you go into a movie theater, don't ever sit next to somebody. Like, that's weird. And if you walk into a movie theater and somebody's got their feet on the seat in front of them, don't sit in that seat either. Like, like they don't want you there. Like, go somewhere else. But maybe, maybe you've got kids and you've got to be strategic. Like, I mean, I've got a, uh, this kid's going to have to go to the bathroom in 30 minutes. We need to be near an exit. Like, we're going to get out of here. Or maybe you're in church and you're thinking, man, like, this kid didn't want to go downstairs. He's going to sit here and I know it's going to start screaming in a minute. Like, I need to be by a door and, and get out. Like the front row here is always empty because people are like, I ain't gonna sit there because the preacher's gonna spit on me. Like it's the splash zone right there. Like it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, but sometimes we're strategic about it because why? Because it matters where, where you sit. And I hope you're beginning to, to see that, that if we're gonna start talking about where you sit, we're, I'm not really talking about your rear end. I'm talking more about um, where your soul sits. And I think this is part of the, the message that this angel is presenting without a single word, that he's pre presenting this idea, this concept, that it matters where we sit. 
It may like you know what your soul is, right? It is your your mind, it is your will, it is your emotions. Your mind, your your, your will, and your emotions make up your soul. And when it comes to sitting down, there's really only a couple of things that, that we think about. Well, the reason why you sit, like usually because you were tired, like you just sat through three worship songs and a long prayer by me, like you were tired, you wanted to sit. Or the other, the other thing that you think about is the place to where, where you sat down at. Because there are a lot of people, places in the Bible, and I Googled this, that, that talk about where people sat down. Like There are a lot of them. Like it just says Jesus sat down or it says God sits on, on the throne. It says Jonah sat down. Like and every time it says that someone sat down, you know what I found out? Every time it's not significant. Sometimes people are just sitting down. But as I was looking into it more, the location of where they sat seemed to be more significant than just the act of sitting down. For example, if you go to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, he's talking about the story of Elijah. It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came into a, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And what I, I want to point out, it wasn't that, that Elijah just physically sat down. His soul sat down there. He sat down under this broom bush, so much so that, that he was suicidal. So it wasn't just his, his rear end that took a seat. Like, it was his very being, it was his very soul that sat down under the broom bush. And, and this is what's cool about the Bible. The Bible's way deeper and way more uh, cooler than, than we think it is. Because this text, this broom bush, it actually means something. It has some significance to it. So if you're ever reading the Bible and you wonder, like, hey, what's the broom bush mean? Like, because that's the stuff that I do. Like, there's a whole story in and of itself. And the significance of the, the broom bush is it's also known as a juniper tree. And, and it only grows in, in, in this area. So it's an in, in indigenous tree to this area. And, and I'm trying, I'm going to explain all this because I'm trying to pour a foundation to, to, to let you know that it matters where you sit. So Elijah sat down under this broom bush, and there's th three things about, about a broom bush that matters. First of all, like it only grows in a very dry place. Like it's only going to grow in, in, in the desert. And that should be something that speaks to us because if, if you're ever in a dry place, watch where you sit. Watch where, watch where you put your soul down at. Don't sit in the dry place. Walk on out of it. Get, get away from there. The second thing is uh, about a broom bush is that it produces a bitter root. Like it's an edible root, but it was very bitter. Like you would not want to just eat this for, for any reason. Like this was only in, in desperate situations that, that we read of people eating the, the roots of the broom bush because they were so bitter. Like you would never just find yourself going, man, I'm craving some broom bush right now. Like you, you wouldn't. But if you were struggling and you didn't have anywhere else to go, you didn't have anything else to eat, like you were about to starve to death, you would dig up the, the roots of this bush and you would eat them because they would nourish you. 
In fact, if you go to Job chapter 30, verse 3, it says this. It says that, that haggard from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land in desolate wastelands at night. In the brush, they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom bush. And if we're not careful, and we allowed ourselves to, to sit in the place that we should not sit, we will begin to, to feed on the root of bitterness. If we allow ourselves to sit under the broom bush of unforgiveness, you know what's going to happen? We're going to become bitter. I've met far too many Christians in my life and have far too many times in my own life that I've just been feasting on this bitterness. And no wonder the, the world is, is, is running away from church and running away from, from Christians because so many of us have spent so much time uh, under this broom bush of bitterness and we've been feasting on things we've never should have feasted on and we've been sitting down in places we've never should have sat down. And the third thing about a, a broom bush is that their twigs are actually used for binding. Like they would pull off the twigs and they would, would bind things up with it. So isn't it ironic or interesting or symbolic that Elijah was suicidal, he ran to a dry place and he sat down under a, a tree from which bitter roots come and he was bound? He had become bound. And so basically what I'm trying to tell you what I'm trying to reiterate is this, is we have to watch where we sit. Elijah had ran to a place that he never should have gone, to a source which he never should have partaken of and was bound by it. We've got to watch our souls and make sure that our souls aren't sitting in places that they don't belong. I want to compare something that's real subtle but very significant. If you go back to verse four, it says that he came to the broom bush and he sat down, watch this, he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Now let's go back to the story of the angel in, in Matthew 28, verse two. It says this, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat where? On it. You see the difference? One sat under it and one sat on, on it. What's interesting to me is like the Greek word for sit under means sit under. Like that, that's what it means. Now the angel sat on the stone and the Greek word for, for to sit on, it means to be above or beyond or more than. Let me kind of wrap this up, this, this first concept. I'm not ending the sermon. Kyle panicked last time. Like this angel could have done anything. He could have just strolled up there like, like a boss. He could have hovered over top of the, the stone. He could have disintegrated the stone if he wanted to. He could have done a lot of things. But I think it's very significant that he sat on it. Think about what he sat on. He sat on the very thing that the devil intended or tried to use to stop Jesus. The angel sat on the very thing that the devil tried to use to hold Jesus back. The, devil sat, or the angel sat on the very thing that the devil tried to use to, to keep Jesus from walking in freedom. And that, and that made a statement. Like, if you know me, you know that I, I read the Bible with all these kind of weird visuals in my brain, and I, I play these stories out. Like, I, like I see this angel, like, he, he just... 
He's there and he's posted up on this stone. I think he's just kind of sitting there like that. And Mary and, and the other Mary, they come around the corner and he like he does his best Joey Tribbiani procession like, how you doing? He's like sitting on it. And I think he's saying to them without saying a word, he's saying, do you notice what I'm sitting on? Do you notice where I'm at? I wanna ask you a question. What is the enemy tried to roll in front of you? What circumstances are you facing? What, what issues are you facing? What financial struggle? What, what relational issue? What is the devil, what, what's the devil trying to use to roll in front of you that he wants to, to hold you back? What is it that you need to be sitting on instead of sitting under? Because we get to make that decision. We can either sit under our circumstances or we can sit on top of our circumstances. What was meant to bring defeat, get this, what was meant to bring defeat became a seat. What the devil tried to use to stop Jesus, the angel was sitting on. Where you choose to sit, listen, it doesn't just impact you. It'll impact generations to come. Watch this in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 30. Talking about Jehu. Uh, it says, the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done uh, well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Because the decision you make, people are going to come four generations after you. For some of you, because you decided to, to no longer sit under this addiction, but you decided to sit on this addiction, like you, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are gonna be blessed because you decided to sit on top of it. For some of you, because you've decided to, to, to tithe for two generations, you're gonna have people in your family that have been blessed because you're, you're, you're doing that. For some of you, because you decided to, to sit on top of the relational struggle instead of just sitting under it or, or getting out away from it, God's gonna bless your family in ways that you could never imagine because you're willing to sit on it and not under it. I think, man, well, how do, how do we do it? How do we sit on it and, instead of under it? Like, I think we can learn from a guy in the Bible, his name's Jesus. Like, if you haven't met him, I think you should. Like, he's a great guy. But watch this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like, we think Jesus was this great guy, and like, he, he wanted to go to the cross. And it wasn't, it wasn't that hard for him, because he was God after all. Listen, he didn't want to go to the cross. He, he despised the cross. But he was able to endure the cross for the joy set before him. He was able to look past the cross at the joy that was on the other side of the cross. He had to make a choice where he was gonna sit. And that battle, that battle took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some people say, well, the battle was, was won at Golgotha. And I agree it was won there, 
But he made the choice in Gethsemane where he prayed, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. He said, I refuse to sit under this. I'm gonna sit on it. And it goes on to say to this, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Like that's where our king is seated. Like in case you didn't know it, like he's taken a seat at the right hand of God. That's who we serve. And we've gotta practice this. Like listen, on our drive home from work, when, when we're exhausted, when we're frustrated, when we're angry at our boss, before we walk through the door to our families, like we've got to make this choice that I'm going to sit on that and I'm not going to sit under it and I'm not taking this junk home to my family. I'm going to sit on it. We get to choose. Like, so let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about saving seats. How many, anybody here like to, like to save seats? You like saving seats for people. If you do, you're weird. Like, because like, I, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that likes to save seats. Like, in fact, like, I fly Southwest a lot when I fly. I got a lot of airline miles from them, and, and they don't give you assigned seats. Like, you don't get, like, you get C3 or whatever. Like, you don't get that. They just give you a number, and you got to go in, and you find whatever seat. And I always pay extra. Like it's $15 or something each way. And so I always pay extra so I can get up in like the first 15 seats because I want to pick my seat. Like I don't want to sit in the middle. Like I want to sit on the, the aisle. Like I, I want that. If I can get the exit row or the, the emergency row, I want the emergency row. And nothing makes me angrier than walking down the aisle and seeing the seat that I want and getting ready to go sit there and someone say, I saved that seat. Like, no, you didn't. Like I paid. You don't get to save seats on Southwest. That's not how it works. But I always be nice, and I always give them the seat. But, but like, I hate to save seats so much. Like, if Jennifer and I, because I said, they, they never work in the right order. If we're both flying together, and let's say I have A17 and she has A37, I'm getting on first, and I'm not saving her a seat. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. Sorry, seat's taken. Like, I, I feel like Forrest Gump, seat's taken. Like, I, I don't know. Now, in psychology, like in psychology, that, that is called the, the seat of emotions. And it's a term that was actually coined in 1954 called the seat of emotions. Like, did you know you actually have three, uh, three brains? Some of you are like, I'm not even sure my spouse has one. But, but you actually have three aspects of your brain. And the first one is, is called the survival brain. Um, and that just kind of keeps you alive. Like, you're breathing, your survival brain is working. Um, the second side of it is kind of the the logical side. Like it, it helps us to make these executive decisions. And one thing that as, as I was reading and studying this, one thing I was very, very glad of, said that the, the logical or the executive side of your brain doesn't actually kick into your mid-20s. And I read that and I thought, man, my kids aren't as slow as I thought. That's good. Um, but the third part uh, of your brain is the, the emotional seat of your brain. And it is... Literally, it's a battle all the time. Like, do I punch that guy in the face or do I sit quietly? Like, like, the, like those emotions. And they're going through our brain all of the time. And I love when modern science comes to the same conclusion that the Bible actually came to thousands of years ago. Watch this in Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, uh, with, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because it's up to us. We get to decide where our emotion, where our soul, where, where our thoughts, where our minds are going to take a seat. Like we get to, we get to pick. That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he would say, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Like we get to decide. We get to choose. And so this is where we have to begin to discipline ourselves. When we're sitting here and, and fear comes creeping down the aisle, you know what you have to say? You have to say, hey, I'm sorry, seat's taken. Can't sit here. This seat's reserved for, for peace. When anxiety comes down the road, when self-pity comes creeping in, like, I'm sorry, this seat's saved. Only joy can sit here. Like, you don't get to sit here. Like, this seat's already, already saved. So you need to tell fear, you need to tell anxiety, you need to tell worry, you need to tell doubt. You know what? This seat's taken. These are seats that we get to save. We've got to be mindful of where our soul sits. We, we've got to be saving seats for the right emotions. And the third thing, and the best news that I, that I came to tell somebody today is this, is that there's been a seat saved for you. Like, there is a seat saved for you. Now, I don't like saving seats for other people, but I love it when Jennifer gets on the airplane first and she saves a seat for me. Like, I love when people save me seats. Like, this happened to me, actually, when I was a freshman in, in Bible college. I got to work at a hotel in downtown Cincinnati as well. Um, and I, I worked third shift as a, a valet car parker. And, like, why they would give that to an 18, 19-year-old kid, like, I don't know. It was, it was a fancy hotel. I was driving nice cars all over the place. Um, taking them places I shouldn't have taken them. But one of the, the regular guys that, that lived in the hotel uh, was a guy named Hal McRae. And if you're a baseball fan, that may, name may sound familiar to you. Hal McRae was a, a coach for the Kansas City Royals for a little while. But, but at this time, he was actually the hitting coach for the Cincinnati Reds. And so instead of buying a house in Cincinnati because he lived in Kansas City, like he just lived in our hotel. So he'd show up after the game were over and and he and I would talk, and I would drive down and get him food sometimes on somebody else's car that I wasn't supposed to do. And, but, but it was great. So he and I were talking one time. He said, hey, why don't you come to the game tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, that's great. He said, just go to the will call. Just tell them, tell them that, that I've, I've saved you a seat. And I'm like, that's awesome. So I went to the will call booth. I took a friend with me who was a big Reds fan. I said, hey, Hal McRae has, has saved us some seats. And, and they walked us up to this luxury box. Like, it was awesome. Like, they had Montgomery Inn in there, which are the best ribs you can ever eat. They had Skyline Chili in this box. Like, it was, it was awesome. And I sat down there, and I'm sitting, like, I'm watching the people that are coming in and sitting by me, and I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong place. This can't be right. This can't be my seat. Like, I don't, I don't belong here. There is, there is no way that I should be seated here with these people. But then it hit me. I know the guy. Like, I know the hitting coach. And this is what I would tell you about the seats that I had. I didn't pay for those seats, like not a dime. I didn't deserve to be in those seats. I was an 18, 19-year-old kid who didn't know anything. I hadn't earned the right. I had no name. Nobody in that box knew who I was. 
I had no influence over anybody at that point. Like, I had no right sitting in that seat. But because I knew somebody, a seat was saved for me. This is what I want to tell somebody today. Like, there's been a seat saved for you. Like, it's saved. And listen, don't feel bad because you didn't pay for it. And to be honest, like, you, you couldn't afford it even if you had to. Like, you owed a debt that you could not pay. And he paid a debt that he didn't know. And you're right, like, we don't belong there. Like, you are 100% right. Our sin, our shame, our mistakes, my, my mess up, I'll mess up today, I'll mess up tomorrow, I'll mess up again. But for some reason, the righteousness of Christ demands and invites and begs us to come to the front of the line and be seated in a place that we don't deserve. Like, and I just don't want to say this out of emotion, like, because I'm serious about it. I want to point you to Scripture, take you back to the truth. And some of you, like, you need to put this on your mirror. You need to put it on your dashboard or your car. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing that in the present tense. He hadn't died yet. Did you know what? I've already been raised up and I've been seated with Christ. I'm there. I got Revelation says the same thing in Revelation chapter uh, 3, verse 21. It says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right, watch this, to sit with me on my throne. There's been a seat that's been saved for you. I remember one time I went to a play in, in Cincinnati. It was just a couple of years ago. It was a, a C.S. Lewis play based on the book, The Great Divorce. I'm not, like, I don't go to many plays. In fact, I think that's the only one I've ever been to that my kids weren't in. But it was, in, so I drove all the way to Cincinnati to, to see the C.S. Lewis play, and it was like a four-hour drive. We get there, we're fighting traffic downtown. I'm kind of grumpy. I go in, and I find my seat, and I'm sitting there, and this guy comes up and just taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I, I think you're in the wrong seat. I said, no, I'm not. Like, I, like, I looked at my ticket. I sat here. Like, I'm, I'm in the right seat. Like, leave me alone. And he said, no, I, like, I think you're in the, in the wrong seat. He said, would you just check your ticket? I'm fine. I checked my ticket, and I was in the wrong seat. Turned out I was supposed to be seated like a row ahead of that. So I'm like, man, I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's what I think the Holy Spirit wants to say to some of us today. The Holy Spirit wants to come to every single one of us and say, will you please check your ticket? Check your ticket. I've already paid the, the full price for you. Like you, you. You've got a ticket. Would you just please, please look at it? Because some of you, you've been in the, the back lines of church and, and this would be your cue to get involved. Some of you, you've been It's been too long. You need to check your ticket and realize that, that you've got a seat that you didn't pay for. And listen, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years, for four days, for 100 years. There's another level, there's a next step that God is calling you to take, that he's put in front of you. And some of you are just in the wrong seat. I want to invite those of you who are not in a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not talking about religion. Like maybe, you, maybe you were baptized when you were six months old and somebody splashed water on you. 
Maybe you think, man, if somebody asks if you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm asking you, are you in a relationship with Jesus? Do, do you know Jesus? I'm inviting you to take a seat at a place that you didn't pay for, that you cannot earn, that you didn't deserve, a place where you can move past your shame, where you can move past your guilt, where you can move past your sin, where you can move past your, your doubt, past every single hindrance that, that holds you back. But you've gotta make the decision, are you going to sit under your circumstances or are you gonna sit on it in victory? I'm gonna ask you to stand. If there's a decision you need to make today, come forward.